An article was published this week that shared stories about people who decided to, to quit something in their life. And what did they quit? Well, one person quit cars, for example. Another person quit a band they were in. Some, some quit dating apps. Veronica Chambers wrote about quitting an abusive job. I grew up with the mentality as someone with my race and gender, you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. I'm a woman of color and a first-generation American, but Chambers found her boss a demeaning and that job suffocating. She writes, I didn't just want to quit my job. I wanted to make a better life for myself. There was a reflection by former presidential candidate Marianne Williamson who wrote, it was difficult to get to the decision to end the campaign. When you commit to a goal, you are hoping that goal materializes. I told a supporter in New Hampshire, we, ha we had beautiful flowers, but I had failed to create a vase. I wonder, have you ever felt that way about a job you had or, or an initiative that didn't work out? You had beautiful flowers, but you weren't able to create a vase. But perhaps the reflection that was most compelling to me in this article was by Lisa Wells, who wrote about quitting her cell phone. This month, we've begun a new year, and we launched a new series called Seven Decisions, a Study of the Apostles. A new year, as we know, is a wonderful time to make course corrections in our lives, to, to make decisions to help shape our best life, a life that is pleasing to God. And for inspiration, we are studying seven decisions by the, by the 12 apostles. After the Gospels in the New Testament, there is, for example, a book called The, the Acts of the Apostles, describing those who attempted to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ and launch the church. What inspired this series a few months ago is I happened to pick up a book on the Apostles, and Tom Bissell decided to, to visit all the tombs of these 12 notable Christians. And he discovered in the end that, that history has has blurred some of the facts. As he put it, they've wandered into this strange gloaming between history and belief. For example, even in the biblical book about them, there, there is not a lot of information. They sort of disappear from the narrative. We need to go, therefore, back to the Gospels to discover who these 12 were and the decisions that they made. Last Sunday, for example, we noted John's Gospel records how the Apostle Andrew, after meeting Jesus for the first time, went to find his brother Simon Peter. He said, I found the Messiah. And then Andrew led his brother to Jesus. The first decision we can make this year is perhaps to go tell someone we know we have found the Messiah and lead them to Jesus. Last Sunday, we turned to Nathaniel and read how from miles away, Jesus saw him and actually knew him by name, even though he was miles away. 
we asked ourselves what might change in our lives if we recognized, in fact, that we are known by God as Jesus knew Nathaniel. As Meister Eckert once put it, God, it's closer to me than I am to myself. If you decided that indeed you were known by God, how might that impact your life? This morning we turn to our third apostle, Matthew, and consider the decision he made as to what to quit in his own life. About a year ago, writes Lisa Wells in the article, I noticed a distressing tendency in myself to drift off while the people I loved were talking. It didn't matter if they were talking about a a book they had read or, or, or recent health problems. Never before had I struggled to listen, but now I couldn't help checking out. Several times in the last year, my husband had to ask in the middle of a conversation, where did you go? Where did I go? Nowhere good. Usually, she writes, my mind returned to the small computer in my pocket. An unanswered email, a like, a Facebook post. But there were other troubling symptoms. It was hard to read or to write for sustained periods, which is concerning because that's my job. I was forcing myself to push through, but then reaching for the phone as a reward. I hadn't deliberately chosen to worship my phone. But when you repeatedly bow your head to something and stroke it thousands of times a day, it begins to shine, writes Lisa Wells, like an idol. On your bulletin cover is one of my favorite paintings. Do you perhaps recognize it? It's the Call of Matthew by Caravaggio, one of our most influential artists. You'll find the painting in Rome, in San Luigi del Franceschi Church. It's painted in 1600, about 400 years ago. It's part of what's called a triptych. There are three paintings in that church on the same theme, three that depict the life of Matthew. The other two are St. Matthew and the Angel and the Martyrdom of St. Matthew. I've been fortunate to visit the church and discovered in order to see these paintings, you actually have to drop a coin into a box, which turns on lights, illuminating the corner of the church where the paintings hang. The Call of Matthew is large. It's about 10 feet by 11 underscoring as it hangs in the shadows of a Roman church, lit up now and then, where light falls in Caravaggio's painting. On the right of the painting, you'll see how light shines right above Jesus, his arm pointing in the direction of that that shaft of light towards five men sitting on a table. Some, men, uh, some have said that that, that hand-pointing, that, that reaching out, seeks to mirror Michelangelo's depiction of God's hand on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Standing next to Jesus is Simon Peter. On the table 
although it's hard to see, are coins, money. It's typically thought the man in the black hat and the beard at the center of the table is Matthew, with his arm raised, pointing. And who is Matthew exactly? As Tom Bissell notes in his book on the apostles, and in their lists of the twelves, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke will list Matthew's name, but in Matthew's Gospel, he's referred to what most translations put as the tax collector. But there's debate whether this is accurate. According to scholar Joseph Fitzmaier, for example, the Greek words that are translated tax collector aren't quite correct. What Matthew's gospel typically or technically indicates is not a tax collector, but a toll collector, or like a customs official, someone who would collect tolls and tariffs on all goods passing through his town. Either way, tax or toll collector, Matthew's entire life centered around the acquisition of money. As Bissell notes, that so many of Jesus' parables involve wealth and its various social issues, that helps explain why Matthew's career has received so much attention and debate. Why Caravaggio's depiction of Matthew's call has also received so much attention is that along with his use of light, there is some debate as to where Matthew is in this painting. The usual answer is it's that man in the black hat. But other scholars suggest Matthew is actually the man at the end of the table with his head bowed. Do you see him there on the far left? In this interpretation, the man in the black hat is pointing to that man with his head lowered, as if declaring to Jesus, bewildered, you're saying follow me to that guy? That unlikely suspect? And why, you might ask, in response to Jesus' call, does this man bow his head, spreading his fingers over the coins on the table? Lisa Wells wrote, when you repeatedly bow your head to something, stroking it thousands of times a day, it begins to shine like an idol, so I try to moderate, leaving the phone off or at home when I went for a walk. But rather, then feeling free, I felt more tightly leashed, worried about missing some phantom emergencies. So I'd reflexively pat my body down, like when I did first quitting smoking. Wells goes on to highlight in her essay a book by Alan Carr about how to quit smoking, where Carr made this observation. Cigarettes do not fill a void. They create one. In 1953, on the day when the church celebrates what is called the Feast of St. Matthew, Jorge Borglio, at the age of 17, went to confession and felt his heart touched by God 
It changed his life forever. At that moment, he felt God's call to service and even to the priesthood. That man, that priest, later became the one today we call Pope Francis. His motto in life was shaped by this calling of Matthew, and it's having mercy and by choosing. The words that are found in an ancient homily by St. Bede on Matthew, where he writes this. Jesus, therefore, sees the tax collector, and since he sees by mercy and by choosing, he says to him, follow me. In an interview, Pope Francis spoke of the event in these words. He said, something very rare happened to me that day. I don't know what it was, but it changed my life. I would say that I was caught with my guard down. It was an astonishment, an encounter. He then says, we want to meet Jesus, but he meets and calls to us first. Jesus' gaze always lifts us up. It invites us to get up and to move forward. That gaze reminds you that you are loved. Before he became Pope, whenever Bergoglio traveled to Rome, he would stand before Caravaggio's painting and absorb every detail. Nothing, as one author describes, noting as one author describes in the painting, that Matthew is holding on to his money, as if saying, no, not me. This money is mine. Today, Pope Francis shares how he sees himself in Matthew's call and that it helped him to name the false idols in his own life, to set them aside, to get up, and to follow. So I quit my smartphone, writes Lisa Wells. It took about 72 hours to teach my body that we had to go back to the old ways. And I assumed it would take much longer, but the change was instantaneous. Moderation requires effort and willpower. But when the device is gone, there is nothing to resist. I can now read a book for hours in a sitting, she writes, And when my loved ones speak, I hear the story they're telling, which is to say I am free again to enjoy the things I have always loved. To worship, she says, the God I choose. I wonder this morning, is there something you need to to quit? in order to worship the God you choose rather than an idol. The idol of a cell phone, an unfulfilling job, a project where you have flowers but no vase. Or like Matthew, you are metaphorically holding on to the coins in front of you. Is, as Caravaggio's painting depicts, 
your head bowed to the wrong God. And what would happen, I wonder, if like Jorge Borglio, you, you listened to the call of Matthew in our passage and you sat in front of that painting and you realized that Pope Francis put it, we want to meet Jesus, but he, he meets us first. And his gaze lifts us up. It invites us to get up, to move forward, and to follow. For that gaze shows us only that we are loved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit,